podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match raw on AI Pro podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and joining me to give their immediate reactions to West Ham 1, Liverpool 2 in the Premier League from the London Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Dave, another win. What even is this? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't pretty at times, and at times we definitely had to ride our luck a little bit, but I think on the balance of play, I don't think anyone could deny that we were the better team, especially in that last half hour. I think we... Once we made the changes, we just looked like a, a much better team. And look, they kept going. They're at home in front of their own fans against an older Liverpool team that you know has a couple of players in midfield that are a little bit leggy. So they, they did create some, I don't even think you'd call them half chances, maybe quarter chances uh, late in the game. But then he managed two shots on target in the whole game. And they didn't really trouble us for long spells, I thought. We had some really good individual performances. Uh, I thought Fabinho was was very good tonight. Trent was good. Um, Curtis, again, I thought had another good game after a, a bit of a ropey one against Forrest. And I thought Cody was probably the standout performer for me yeah. on the night. I thought he was really, really good. And most of our good stuff came through Cody, which, you know, is, is a sign of his growing influence. Yeah, I said it to Jan on Monday night. We recorded an early version of Malby on the spot. And I just have to put it to the big man that I'm just so impressed with this kid. He's an actual baller of the highest order. His touch is brilliant. His strength is fantastic. He's got a pass in him. As we've seen tonight, he can finish. He's a real addition. I I think it's so good that he's been like that Um, when... We also have to deal with the struggle that Darwin's having to impact uh, in the way that we'd all like him to. And tonight was a perfect example. I mean, the poor fella had a bit of a stinker when he came on, to be fair to him. Um, And it's just, it's nice that uh, Cody's kind of carrying the can until we get uh, uh, Nunes into what I think is inevitably going to be uh, fantastically effective for him. And Harry, to bring you in early as well, Mm. um, it is, it is quite heartening this to be back on a little bit of a run a run of wins and as Dave says even if it does involve a little bit of you know uh, but a clenchingly uh, a, a, a angst inducing moments um, you just you'll take it I felt that the the balance of play was ours in a good way tonight rather than in that kind of pointless possession way I think we definitely shaded what was an exciting sort of uh game that ebbed and flowed yeah and I think all of our expectations have probably been sort of changed a few times this season and I think 
a while ago now is just um, at, at peace with the fact that I think with with the attackers returning with some of the different options that we've chosen to go with, with this, this new formation and Trent in the position in which he's in, it looks as though we're going to be able to create enough chances uh, for the attack to be a real a real threat for until the end of the season. And we're still, you know, we, we still have real quality up there um, and it's not going to be pretty. And I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be the prettiest um, end to the season by any stretch, but I think that that attack should get us over the line in a few more of these games as well. So you know, wasn't sure exactly what to expect. West Ham have been on a pretty awful sort of run this season, but things had gone a little, a little bit better for them recently, but still felt there was a, a bit of a soft center there. And Moyes as well, you know, with uh, the tendency to revert to a pretty conservative approach, even at home, I thought, against, you know, um, a team like us who've been struggling this season, have a few older players in there, but known weaknesses. Uh, still, I didn't think he really went for it the way in which he could have done. I think it sort of reverted to type a little bit there. By the way, I do want to, you sort of glossed over it, Jeff, do, do want to wish uh, Moyes a very happy 60th birthday, as we were saying just a little bit before the pod. Uh, the, the manager, of course, who proves that you don't need to be a winner to be a winner, but but he is a winner. Um, but he is so a winner. He is a, he's a winner. So just wanted to get that in there because it'd be rude, obviously, not to mention Moisey's, Moisey's birthday. But uh, yeah, I thought I was I was quite impressed on the whole, and um, I'm not sure whether I'm I'm more upbeat because as we've discussed many times, Trevor, on these pods. Uh, a certain WhatsApp channel is is very quiet tonight in North London, so I'm I'm enjoying enjoying that a little bit as well. Uh, oh, it's now four one, is it? Uh, so yeah, on, on the whole, the game was um, messy in parts. Could have been made it a bit more comfortable. Was slightly disappointed that Diaz and Nunez didn't get to make more of an impact when they came off the bench. But I thought at points you saw us really pinning them in, uh, and they were unable to get out. A couple dangerous counters, I suppose, but looked somewhat like we looked like last season where teams struggled to get out. We just kept recycling the ball and creating chances and creating chances. So yeah, I thought on on the whole, I think we're going to, we're going to have to take these wins wherever we can get them uh, between now and the end of the season. And uh, big Joel, big Joel popping up with the winner. You can never be, never be unhappy about that. Yeah. All of those things, as you, as you describe in there, it's just basically sounds like we're, we, we we're a bit more like ourselves, uh, mm. the default setting of the good Liverpool. And, um, it, it, it reminds me that I should ask you for the record. We haven't yeah. spoken for a little while. Um, a, and you talked about revising expectations. We've been revising them down quite spectacularly as the season has gone on. Are you mm. now currently, I know Dave's reluctantly on board, are you Team Europa as well? Team Europa? Uh, and I, 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 was, I was Team Europa last time we, we spoke as well, I think a little bit in terms of, I don't think that, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't mind it as much as I used to, I think, over, over the years. And I think it's, it's a competition that we could uh, you know, win, and um, just uh, have a bit of fun there. European adventures are always fun. I know it comes with the burdens to the squad and we need to invest properly to actually make sure we've got the squad to allow for that uh, and, and a competitive league season as well. But yeah, I reckon it's looking like fifth probably and um, looking like Europa. So, um, so yeah, not, not sure who we'll see there this season, but um, yeah, it should be. Should be okay. It's fine. It's 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 fine with me, Trevor. And you you mentioned it, it looking a bit more like the old Liverpool. It was even the messy bits, right? There's some very familiar messy bits to the performance. That was, oh yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff we used to we used to do as well, unfortunately. So 
I, I guess the most promising thing about it is it, those players Dave was mentioning, right? You know, Curtis Jones, Cody Gakpo. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You know, your hopes for Nunez as well next season. You know, these are young players who are going to be hopefully part of the future. Um, not all of them first teamers, but part of the future. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I don't know what either of you think, but I think it behooves us to not spend much time talking about the Liverpool lineup tonight because it, it, I, I, we, we'd all have put our, our mortgage, house, car, whatever we have to put on a bet on the fact that Jurgen would have changed it minimally. He had one change to make due to injury because, unfortunately, Ibu Kanate was out. Joel Matip came in, and I think overall, I think we can agree he had a decent night, so that was a decent thing to see. But he didn't do anything else. And it leaves us with that strong bench that you mentioned earlier on, Dave. Um, And for whatever reason as well, I noticed in the Discord uh, in the post-match Raw channel, there's a discussion about us discussing Hendo or discussing pundits talking about Hendo or whatever, and is it to the detriment of the show and all that kind of stuff. And 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 I'm heartily aware, as a fellow who tries to do this job uh, pretty well, uh, that I don't want to be driving us down the same road every week. I don't. I have no interest in doing that. But then again, if the road, if all roads lead to the same freaking exit, then I'm afraid I will have to drive us there. So that's why why it happens, just by way of explanation. There, there's contrary to uh, very popular uh, Twitter and, um, and internet beliefs, there are no agendas here. It's just simply us trying to talk about a thing that we're seeing and the uh, frustration that we're having. But it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't behave us to t- talk too much about that this evening to be honest what's the point it's uh it's gone around around circles and then the team was the team tonight and it left our bench quite strong so unless there's something really glaring you want to do by way of addressing the liverpool lineup let's just talk if we could uh about this um west ham team because harry mentioned the burden and the strain of a european campaign and what it can do and West Ham are very much wearing that because when you look at the team that they put out tonight, they are very, very good. There's so many good footballers mm. in that squad uh, and it's better they're getting, you know, and you know that if they didn't have that extra competition that they would be probably one of the teams that are ahead of us in the challenge for European position, because I'd imagine they'd have cobbled together a better season in the Premier League. In Fabianski, I think they've got a solid citizen there. (coughs) Soufal, Zuma, Guerd and Cresswell is what it is. 
um, probably Premier League standard, I suppose you'd say. Uh, Suchek and Rice um, uh, are very highly rated. Uh, depends on who you are, which of them you'd rate, which of them you'd rate them more highly. This new new addition of uh, Paqueta, it looks like a proper footballer. Bowen, we know, is an excellent um, Premier League standard footballer. Antonio on his day can be unplayable. And Ben Rama looked very sharp tonight, I thought, as well. But they have on a bench. They've got Fornals, they've got Lanzini, they've got Downs, Ariola, Cornet came on, Danny Ings is on there, Ogbonna, Kerer, and Emerson Palmieri. This is a very, very, very solid outfit who should definitely be top six contenders, in my opinion, when you when you look and and by the way, we 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 have our jollies about Moisey, but the iteration of him here at West Ham is doing a very decent job. Uh, I would have agreed prior to this season. I think this season he's been terrible, to be honest, Trev. There's no excuse for them to be anywhere near the bottom three, and they've spent parts of this season in the bottom three. Now, they have had a fortunate run of results lately, a win over Southampton, who outplayed them, a win over Fulham, who outplayed them, a heavy win over Bournemouth in what was probably their best league performance of the season. But the thing is, I look at that team and it is a good team with a lot of good footballers. But where you see Fabianski as a solid citizen, I see him as an inferior goalkeeper to the fella sat on the bench, who's been the star turn of both of their European campaigns, both this season and last. Alphonse Ariola is a significantly better goalkeeper. And yet every time Fabianski is fit, regardless of form, and he has thrown in some goals this season, Moyes runs back to him. Mm. Soufal has had a really poor season. Ben Johnson is a significantly better right-back than him on current form. Yet Soufal's in the team. Aaron Cresswell, he's had a really poor season. He had a pretty poor end to last season as well. They've got Emerson Palmieri sat on the bench, who's a better defender than Aaron Cresswell is at this point in Cresswell's uh, career. And then you've got Suchek in midfield, who... He looked a bit more lively tonight, and he has in the last couple of weeks, but he has really struggled this season. And the same goes for Antonio, who wasn't great last year and has been poor this year. And those five players, along with Rice and Bowen, have just been overplayed by Moyes over the last couple of seasons. And both Rice and Bowen have had poor campaigns, and I thought Rice was poor again tonight. Bowen looked dangerous. But... Moyes is so hesitant to move away from the lads he trusts. It's very similar to Jurgen, and it's to the detriment of the team at times because last season they finished seventh. They get to the semi-final of the Europa League, and that comes off the back of a season in which they finished sixth. In the summer, they go and they spend a significant chunk of money, like in and around the 170, 180 million pound mark on a significant talent upgrade. And you can see some of the pieces there Neof Agard is an excellent centre-back. The only issue with him is he's had some injuries this season. And Lucas Paqueta, for me, was the best player in a claret and blue shirt tonight. And he just looks a class above. Now, he had a bit of a tough time for the first half of the season. And his sort of settling in and finding his form has directly coincided with their recent improved form. I just think Moyes needs to be more flexible. I think he needs to be more willing to try new things. Like, they bought him a new striker in the summer, Skamaka. Moyes doesn't know how to use him. He's trying to use him like Mikel Antonio, but he's a different type of player. 
so Moyes just turns back to Mikel Antonio rather than try and alter things ever so slightly to get the most out of your new £40 million striker who talent versus talent is a significant upgrade on Antonio. I, I think Moyes has done a good job overall at West Ham. But I do think this summer they need to take strong consideration about maybe moving on from him because he's just a little bit stuck in his ways and teams have figured him out just ever so slightly. What would you think about the theory? And Harry, I'm going to come over to you then to talk about West Ham briefly as well because I know you did a show looking forward to this game as well. What do you think about the theory, Dave, that um, uh, you know the eyes are taken off the ball? I think it's, um, uh, when is it? Is it the 11th? of may uh is their game against alkmaar uh, mm, a semi-final, semifinal. In, the con- in the conference so uh, look well, here's, here's my argument against the trev right Th- yeah. these are the teams they've played in this competition yeah i thought but you might go there <laughs> Iford, Stoya bucharest silkberg anderlecht who are mid-table mid-table in, in belgium larnica and ghent who are fourth in belgium other than ghent they should be able to beat any of those teams with a heavily rotated squad. So I don't I don't buy the excuse that sorry, it is a valid excuse, excuse that the players are overplayed. But that's not an excuse for Moyes because Moyes should have looked at the the reality of the situation. This is this is like playing league 1 teams. If you're playing a league 1 team in a domestic cup, you wouldn't be playing your best 11. You'd rotate, you'd bring in the likes of Flynn Downs, you'd bring in the likes of Pablo Fornals a bit more, Lanzini would play more, Ogbonna and Carrer could play a few games at centre-back, you could change your full-backs up. There's no excuse for Moyes having had such a fairly easy run to this point of the, um, of, of the Conference League and continuing to flog his best players oh, game what about after the, game. What about the take that, like, Although, as we've established, Harry and I, he is a winner. Uh, he hasn't had over a career that some people will uh, assess in various different ways. Some people fondly, some other, not, some not so much. Uh, he hasn't, ironically, when you look at his career, he hasn't had that many seasons where he's had to deal with that type with of... With Europe. No, he, he's, yeah. not, he's not a manager that's used to, to dealing yeah. with, with two competitions. And you could see it a bit last season where they ran out of steam in the league. And, and in the cup, because again, he hadn't been rotating enough. Look, I, I think Moyes is a better manager than he's given credit for. I think he did a very good job at Preston. I think he did an excellent job at Everton over the years. I know he didn't win anything. But what have Everton done since he left? He's gone 10 years and they've done nothing of note. They've been floundering now for, what's this, the last two seasons. Before that, they were just lost in mid-table. At least with Moyes, he did get a couple of you know top six, top seven finishes there. He's he's largely weighed down by the failure at Manchester United, which was the impossible job. Walking in to replace Ferguson to an aging squad, and I know they'd won the league the year before, but that was 80% down to Ferguson and know-how. That was a group of players that knew how to win leagues but didn't know how to get top four if you know what i mean like they knew how to win game after game after game but when things went against them and the expectations were lowered and the players weren't as good as they were used to having around them they weren't used to grinding their way to a top four finish 
and they end up mid-table. He gets sacked, what, seven months into a six-year contract, which, you know, credit to Moisey, he was still getting paid from United up until 2019. So who's the real winner and who's the real loser? Um, he failed at Saucy, that obviously he failed at Sunderland, but he's done really well since going back to West Ham. And I remember watching us play them last season. Now, we we hurt ourselves on the day, but he outcoached Klopp that day. And the tactical game plan he had was was really, really strong. And you could tell the lads were really well drilled. And that is the epitome of a Moyes team. His team are well set up. There's always a good game plan. And his lads are well drilled. And normally he only needs to trust a small squad because he's not dealing with Europe. But when he has to deal with Europe, his team's run out of steam. And, and this season they've just been really, really poor in the league. I mean, you, you can look through the, the games that they've taken points from in the league. You know, they beat a bad Villa under Gerrard. Uh, they beat Wolves, who are bad. They beat Fulham, which is probably their best result of the season. Beat Bournemouth, beat Everton, beat Forest, beat Southampton, beat Fulham again, and beat Bournemouth again. Like the the only team in the top half that they've beaten is Fulham. They've done it twice, and once when Fulham were on the beach and still outplayed them. And even the draws, like they got a draw against Spurs, they got a draw against Southampton, a draw against Leeds, a draw against Newcastle, a draw against Chelsea, a draw against a good Villa under Emery, and a draw against Arsenal. They've picked up some good draws, but you know, they're losing to bad teams. They're only beating some of the crappy teams. They haven't they haven't done what they did in the last two years, which is they went out and they punched teams in the face and they went toe-to-toe with teams. This season, I yeah. think he's tried to be a little bit too clever. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. And Harry, I, I, I'm sure you've spent a lot of the last few minutes on that uh, aforementioned WhatsApp group telling your Arsenal pals to come outside. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. It's, 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 all, it's always about the um, it's always about the silence, Trev. I just say, Sorry, I say yeah, absolutely yeah. nothing, and then um, there'll be there'll be a carefully placed hand on the shoulder at, at a family event in the next, I don't know, a few months or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I, we, we used to come on these raw pods and uh, at different points over the past few seasons where we've had so much to enjoy, right? And we talked about sometimes you you come you'd come through a game and we'd almost summarize it by saying there's 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 levels there's levels to this at times and and the level we've seen from Liverpool and from City certainly over the past past few seasons has been like astronomical has been incredible and I, I just think it's, it's it's just good for there to be a bit of a um yeah bringing bringing North London back down to earth a little bit I think is is, is always um is always a good thing. And, and then, yeah, on, on Moyes, uh, we, we spoke, um, I spoke to Roshan Thomas, who's the West Ham correspondent for uh, The Athletic, and lots of what Dave said, he, he reiterated to be honest, he said that the European football had generally been better. Yes, those teams are you know, like weak teams, but that was when Moyes seemed to trust those players that he was unwilling to trust in the Premier League. Uh, some of those new signings that have come in, Skamaka, um, Paqueta got more of a run in Europe as well as and uh, Ariola is playing in 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 Europe as well. And uh, Roshan was saying to me that actually it seemed like in in Europe Moyes was a bit more willing to try some different things in terms of the lineups and the tactical setups and the performances were a bit more encouraging. Again, yes, always contextualizing it with the with the level of the opposition. But I, th- I think my opinion on David Moyes is 
It's, it's, it's probably similar to Dave's in, in terms of I think I think he is a, he's clearly a better manager than than he's, he's given credit for, and it's, it's it's very funny to laugh at that poster because that poster is just a, a very very funny poster. Uh, nothing will change that. Uh, he, he, even his uh, his talent as a manager, I think he's done a good job at West Ham overall. But I th- I, I'd, I'd summarize. I mean, I, I th- all the big games I can remember Moyes taking part in over the years, there is that tendency, that temptation to always revert to type a little bit when the chips are down and it can be a bit more of a negative approach or trying to employ an approach with the players that don't really suit it because that's what he's used to with his trusted generals. And yeah, I just thought today, as you mentioned, Joe, you're reading out the, the names in that team. There's a lot of talent there, a lot of talent. I don't think that the European football has been too much of an exertion this this time around. I, I just think that he's he's got it wrong a little bit. Um, unable to integrate signings. It's spent a lot of money and it's just looked like there hasn't been much of a vision beyond what worked last season, really. So um, was I, I can't say I was too surprised by by what we saw from West Ham today. And again, they they could have they could have hurt us more than they did. And was your uh, guest? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye phlegmatic about the sort of drop away from Premier League upper echelon contention mm. in, in 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 the sacrifice of progressing in the monumental competition that is the conference. The conference. Yeah. yeah. I, I I I think so in 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 that if it's if if it's going to have a, a positive ending uh, where there's a, there is a trophy at the end of it again I mean belittle the competition at times but I, I i think a lot of fans would take that much after this season that they've had um sort of west ham fans and yeah he 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 was he was fairly um flexible on sort of taking that as the as the objective for the rest of the season but he he did mention a couple of times i was speaking to rush he was talking about how he thought they turned a corner after a certain performance and then i, I did remind him that west ham had lost four nil a couple of games after that turning the corner performance. So it, I wasn't sure just how how stable this this return to form has been. But I just think what we're seeing now in the league is they have too much quality to be involved in that relegation battle. They really do. And so um, that quality will see them, you know, has seen them clear, will see them clear. Uh, and it's, yes, I suppose it, it is up to the club to think about where they want to go in the future. Uh, you know, dare I say it, I mean... The, would an approach for the likes of Graham Potter be the worst idea in the world? Who knows? Fair, very interesting shout, actually. Very interesting shout. And before I forget, in case 
you listeners are not aware of the wonderful talents of David Squires, the cartoonist who uh, is simply the best thing about the Guardian newspaper by far. Uh, his cartoon strip on the 18th of this month featured one of the best single frames I've ever seen, which was a train spotting pastiche with David oh. Moyes looking up at the at the ceiling where David Gold as a baby with his Russian hat is doing that twisty around thing in that scene from Trainspotting. It's just <laughs> absolutely incredible. Meanwhile, I thought main... you were going to mention the Roy Division one, Trev, that you did a, a few. A oh, few that, that was that was great. That was great. But 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 continuing the well, the theme uh, in, in half the split uh, frame is uh, our man over at Leeds. <laughs> who was, it was uh, doing a spud impression, having shat the bed quite literally. It's amazing. It's well worth your while having a look at that. Um, what was the story, by the way? I know this has got nothing to do with the show currently, but I've just looked at this and it's reminded me, what was the story that was going around during the week about how uh, Ben White is disillusioned with football or something? What was that thing? Did, did, do either of you know? That was ben White doesn't like football. Yes, what's that about that? Um, I don't know. He said it a few times in interviews, and then oh, he did. Okay, there was obviously the big kerfuffle. Well, it was it was a a muted kerfuffle, I think, actually, when he he left the World Cup squad and came home because he wasn't enjoying himself, and it was covered over as a as a private matter. He went home for a private matter, and he was expected to rejoin the squad initially, yeah. and then he just decided not to go back. And there's just been some suggestion that he he doesn't really want to be a footballer he's only doing it as a means to an end and could potentially see himself walking away you know in in his mid-20s yeah i think i i I think he's had some struggles with it to be honest from a yeah a mental side of it but i i do remember who was it Tottenham player Asua Kotto, I think maybe. Um, mm, yeah. With Tottenham, saying very similar, like, no, I don't watch football. This is a job. I'm, I'm doing a job. Yeah. Danny yeah, Rose, really. I think, said the same as well. Danny Rose Did didn't yeah. like football, and of course, David Batty was the the most notable one who was once asked what how it felt to be top of the table, and he didn't actually realise that uh, his <laughs> Newcastle United team were top of the table because he didn't pay any attention. He'd just wow. turn up, play the game, and go home. He'd turn up in his training kit train get in the car and drive home still wearing his kit because he just couldn't be arsed with any of it um which is of course how all three of us feel about podcasting but we'll soldier on full kit wanker podcasting uh chris cavanagh may make a mention later on but he doesn't deserve a ref, ref watch i've decided um now harry you're gonna have to help me out here i'm gonna start with you for this opening period which involves their goal because um like a dope i assumed it was an eight o'clock kickoff because liverpool always play at eight o'clock but of course bt had decreed that it was 7:45, and i um missed the first 10 minutes of the game uh, no, sorry, first 13 minutes of the game as a result, because I famously only turn on the television a minute before kickoff time. I was early today, I got two minutes. So I just basically missed the goal, the the, 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 the stadium was still buzzing. So I'm going to do a little bit of a role reversal here and ask you to tell me what happened in those opening 10 minutes, plus if you wouldn't mind talking through the goal, which I have seen since, and to be fair, it's incredible work with Paqueta and Antonio exchanging one-twos, and it's a super 
were hit by the kid. Uh, just a great goal, like uh, you know, um, very well taken, very well executed goal. But talk to me about those opening ten minutes. If there was anything of note, I I, I heard tell of some sort of a Bowen opportunity, but again, I haven't seen it, so I'm relying on you here. Yeah, there was a, a little bit of sloppiness from us early on. I think it was maybe, maybe it was Virgil uh, for that Bowen chance early on. He, um, sort of gave the ball away, and he um, uh, it was a, I think it was a cross to the back post or something like that. And Bowen nearly got in. Uh, I, I felt that there was always going to be a pretty lively start from them. As we said, they, they've they've won a few games recently. Uh, it's always, always can be a trickier way to to negotiate the first 20, 20 30 minutes at at West Ham, um, just because the crowd do get up for the for these evening kickoffs, and it can be a a difficult atmosphere at times, and they they do get into you, and like, c- clearly they are fired up um, for for the occasion. But I felt that even in the early stretches, you could see some of the quality that we would have that would cause them mm. cause them issues. Uh, I there was a I think Ali cleared it, not particularly by design, but it fell to to Gakpo, the really nice through ball to Salah, and um, almost get, gets his shot away. But I, I think it was some good defending by the by the chap next to Zuma, I forget his name. Hey, God. Hey, God, yeah. And, uh, yeah, th- th- there was a... Um, I-, I did notice today that our-, our corners seemed to be causing them a bit more trouble than I expected for a David Moyes side. You expect them to be sort of, you know, really well drilled from set pieces uh, on occasion. And that, quite a few scrambles um, throughout the game, and there was a couple early ones as well, uh, where they're just hacking it clear. Could have fallen to a Liverpool player, could have, you know, could have fallen to Jota, given the form he's in as well. Uh, and then the goal, yeah, I, I, I missed it initially. Then came back and saw saw the replay, and I guess someone had told me that um, the goal had gone in from from a fair distance. I thought, well, if, if that's the case, it's, it must have been a deflection or you know, a hell of a shot to beat Ali from from distance because he just tends not to be not to be beaten at all. So you see the one twos and. Uh, there's a slow motion replay uh, just before he hits the ball, Paqueta, and we, we talked about how talented he is. And uh, yeah, you, you can see on the slow motion replay that there's a player who's clearly tried to, to track Paqueta, but, <laughs> but failed to track Paqueta. Uh, and then I, I did, did hear some criticism of Virgil, uh, you know, not necessarily going in for the block, but as we've talked about many times, it seems to be a little bit of a policy of if there's a, a shot from that distance, a deflection could be a bit more harmful, perhaps, and they they trust Ali to save those nine times out of ten. But I think I think the issue is more how easily the one two played through um, a couple of our midfield. Yeah, for sure, and that seems like a decent place to segue across to you, Dave, to ask if you've got any take on the goal that we conceded first. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, you may um, sort of name the person that Harry was alluding to on this one. Um, talk to me about that concession. Anything in the first 10 minutes you want to, and then when we've got that goal out of the way, you and I are going to go and talk about Cody Gakpo's equaliser. So, uh, first of all, the, the opening section, anything you wanted to mention? Yeah, I thought we started quite well. I thought we were the, the team on the front foot. They were quite aggressive, but I thought we matched their aggression. I thought Cody looked bright from the off. Mo looked bright from the off. And I, I thought we were the better team, and I thought the goal came against the run of play. Um, it's brilliant from Paqueta. It really is. Like, the way he turns in field, feeds the ball, goes to get the return. And that's his weaker foot that he shoots off as well. And it's a great strike that... I, I've seen some people say maybe Ali should save it. 
I think he's a little bit unsighted. Um, again, like like Harry, I've seen some criticism of Virgil and some criticism of Fabinho, but it's the usual deflection tactics rather than just point at the fella who's actually you know at fault here. Um, he just he just looked like he was running in concrete wellies because Lucas Paqueta is not a fast player. If you were listing his attributes, pace would not be among them, and yet he very easily runs away from our right-sided midfielder who then doesn't make enough effort to track him across into the central area. Um, but, you know, that's just by the by. There's been there's three notable defensive actions that that one player is called upon to do in the first half, and all of them are an absolute shambles. So, yeah. you know, that's, that, is just, that is just the fact of it. There's that one, there's the Benrama one later that... Uh- We'll talk about when we get to, and there's the Antonio one just before half time. Right, yeah, right. That that's the most that's the most egregious. By it's the just it's, it's appalling. It's absolutely yeah. appalling. And like I get that people think we we dedicate too much of the show to talking about it, but we're here to talk about the issues of the game. And yeah. when one player is consistently the biggest issue in the team, it needs to be talked about because otherwise, what what would we be doing here? Well, it what wouldn't we'd be, be given what, an honest reflection of the game. No, it wouldn't be this show. What we'd be doing is we'd be doing whatever every other sap in the media is doing and saying, just for some reason, treating certain people uh, as if they're uh, a, just protected species and, and others who have by far earned more respect uh, going in two-footed on them. Uh, it's it, it's a remarkable thing. Anyway, Cody puts us back level in 17 minutes. I think, I, I think you're right. Um, if if judging by what both of you have said, it's probably no more than we deserve because yeah. uh, the rest of the tempo of our play for the rest of the game, if that if 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 that's any indicator of the first ten minutes, this is really really nice nicely taken goal. Steve McManaman on commentary talking about uh, oh it bounced twice. I was like, okay, Steve, like like it was a oh, bad he, shot, he like a bobbler. Yeah, well, also his pal for the record, if you were watching BT, uh, is obviously still learning his craft. I don't know who he is, but 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 basically, he responded totally to the West Ham crowd, who are very very when they want to be uh, um, upbeat and very partisan. And so his commentary got really animated every time West Ham had the ball anywhere past our mm. halfway line. And he was very, very excited. But Cody really, I thought, fantastic goal here. It is our man on the spot in centre mid with a nice little fed through ball. That's Trent to Cody. But Cody's got a lot to do. He takes his touch and his low drive past the uh, keeper into the bottom of the uh, bottom corner is a fantastic finish um, to pull us 1-1. Uh, anything you want to say about the goal before you and I push on and do uh, another chunk of this half? No, uh, it's a it's a fantastic strike. The way he takes it in, turns, and just gets that shot away really quickly, and it bounces twice. It picks up speed when it hits the ground. That's just physics. It picks up speed. It's It's moving ridiculously quickly as it hits the back of the net. So I'm not putting any blame on the goalkeeper. I think it's a tremendous strike. The only thing I would say is that's a prime example of why I don't like assists as a statistic. When people try and use assists to say someone's played well. Now, Trent played really well tonight. It had nothing to do with him getting an assist because he doesn't do a whole lot there. It is it is a nice ball into Cody, 
but the goal is all Cody. So, you know, it's it's great that Trent is back to creating goals and such, but he hasn't created that goal tonight. No, that is like, all Cody Gakbo, and it's a it's wonderful the, strike. It's had the James Milner to uh, Coutinho assists. Yeah, or, 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 the, or the Milner to Diaz against Crystal Palace <laughs> earlier in the season. It's a, yeah. it's a simple pass. The other player then does all the work. I remember Pogba got one at the start of last season when United fans had their flutes in their hands. Um, because he had seven assists in three or four games. <laughs> and two of them were exactly like that, like five-yard passes, 25 yards out, and someone bangs it in the top corner. Oh, Pogba, he, he's back. He's proving he's the best in the world, and he disappeared for the rest of the season. That's just a by-the-by. A by that's why I think assists without context are a little bit silly. But, um, it's a great a, word, a, a word on Cody from you. Uh, I, I like I said, I kind of put hard on the sleeve earlier on. I think this fella's fantastic. I, I, I didn't give you an opportunity to respond to that. What, what what's your take on Cody Gakpo's Liverpool evolution? Oh, I really like what I'm seeing from him. And I thought today we saw some slight um, tweaks to the system from what it had been the last couple of games, where it's been this three box three. But Cody was dropping back in to almost form a box and one. So he was dropping in as a false nine. And it was almost becoming a Fabinho-Trent double pivot with Henderson, Cody and Jones behind a front two of um, of Salah and, and Jota, um, which I think could have worked well if, if somebody had you know done what they were meant to do and hold the width. That would have helped. But... Um, I thought Cody was really good again tonight. Now, I thought he thought he had a bit of a poor game against Forrest, but I thought they just limited what he could do because they had that third centre-back. They were able to send that third centre-back with him. Tonight, up against the back four, West Ham couldn't afford to let a centre-back track Gakpo and pick up his movement. So he's able to find those pockets of space behind Suchek and Rice, neither of whom have great awareness of what's around them and in front of the centre-backs, and he had a lot of joy in those areas. But I will just say one last thing before we move on. Against Forrest, they score on, on 51, we score on 55. They score on 67, we score on 70. And tonight, they score on 12, we score on 18. So it is really nice to see us reacting well to teams scoring goals against us. And even the against Leeds, Sinistera scores on 47, we score again on 52 to go 3-1 back up and keep our lead. It's a nice habit to get back into that we're reacting really well to the opposition scoring goals because for a lot of this season, and the opposition would score and we would freeze for 15 minutes and oftentimes they'd get a second goal. And that was one of the big criticisms I've had about this team is that they're not reacting well to, to a punch in the face. They're, they're being very Arsenal-esque in that regard, being a bit soft. But I thought, the last four games now, or the last three games, um, plus the Arsenal game where we come from behind to you know to get back and we should have won it. I think that's a really good habit and it's showing some good traits that are starting to just you know rear their heads again. Things that had been pushed to one side this season and we look like we're getting back to doing those things. Let's this next section focuses on a couple of our, our nominal defenders and our new um, hybrid. Uh, in Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, Rama came down our end not far after the goal um, versus Trent, and he hit wide of the near post. And 26 minutes then, Shota, 
uh, first of two good chances see he basically shins a half volley over the top when he should bury it it was really good marauding play by Mo Salah the ball breaks to Jota and it it, it hops once and he, he like I say he, he doesn't connect well which given some of his recent finishing was surprising um I thought Joel did brilliantly then in a 1v1 versus Antonio um who was breaking down the left after um uh, the captain had lost the ball and again quality by Joel and credit to the kid who's come back in and I thought was very good today because uh, a few of us had been cocking eyebrows in his direction uh, with some of his form earlier in the season when he was first choice um, and again, again another fantastic bit of trend sweeping um, a great, oh, sorry, a great rob of the ball off Rice, and then a good ball in, and then later on we see Trent sweeping away, doing really reading the game well, and 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 getting back defensively. And the last thing I wanted to mention for you is an opportunity from a corner that that rob of the ball where Trent takes it off Rice and plays a good ball in, got as a corner, and from that. Uh, Virgil headed not that far wide, and mm. I think might have just been a little bit off balance. But I was really, really happy with that part of, of the game because even though they did have their Ben Rama opportunity and, you know, Joel had to be very good against Antonio, we were negating their threat and carrying one ourselves. And um, again, these are those little things you were talking about that are incrementally creeping back in. Yeah, and I thought even from Joel, um, the way he played Ben Rama t- tonight was very good because he's had problems with him before. And I have to say, when, when the team was announced, I was quite worried that it was Joel rather than Gomez. Not that I think Gomez is a better defender than Joel, and neither of them can claim to have had a good season, but it's a lot of space to cover, and Gomez has a lot more pace than Mata. But I thought Mata, by not trying to get up right against Antonio, by almost letting him take a first touch and then robbing the ball off him, if the ball was played lower than head height and he was able to dominate the aerials but Antonio his his second touch can often be a bit of a tackle and I thought Mata took advantage of that he, he let him take the heavy first touch and then he pounced on the ball and I thought he read it really well and was very calm in his defending didn't didn't try and get involved in any physical nonsense with him didn't try and start dragging and pulling out of him, which we've seen in the past when he gets a little panicked. I thought Matip was really, really good tonight and, and very composed in the face of the, that big physical threat. Um, but in that spell you've mentioned, Trev, I, I think we did start to to look a little bit better. Um, the, the lack of wit was frustrating me, though, because everything was so centralised and nobody seemed to be taking responsibility to hold that right wing. And... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN Make sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. 
or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Mo would go and do it, but that's not where we want Mo. We want Mo getting more central. It has to be Henderson who goes out there, but he, he seemed intent on dictating the play in the middle of the park by knocking around, you know, re- really passively. And you're just screaming at him, just get out of the way. You're not in there to do that. Get out of the way, hold the width. And when he did that, he actually got, I think, two decent crosses in yeah, and created a half-decent chance from one of them. Just get out of the way, let Mo and Trent be central, and you t- you hold the width. That's what you're there for. That's the only role you have in this team because you don't offer enough to do anything else. This final sequence, actually, Harry, gives the truth to what Dave is saying there about um, uh, Jordan's work tonight on 38 minutes to pick it up with you. There's a beautiful move uh, with Mo involved, two Henderson involvements. It ends with Jota flicking a header wide. Um, to be honest, it's another great chance for the kid. Uh, then we see that moment of sweeping that I was talking about on the 40-minute mark where Trent covers defensively as they broke. And it had a real ebb and flow to it this game. The the, the commentary team were excited by that as, an, as, as a spectacle. And I think it would have been a good game for a neutral to watch. And again, on 40 minutes, they broke a second time. Um, and literally nobody, I don't know, it was the camera angle. We could see Antonio running completely um, solitary on the right-hand sort of centre-right, and nobody picks him up at all. And you're looking at going, can somebody maybe go to Antonio? Anybody, anybody, anybody? But nobody picks him up. And eventually, Ben Rama uh, gets a ball in to the back post, and it's very dangerous. And to be fair to Virgil, he does very well to get a toe to it and put it out for a corner. Um, Nothing accrues from that. And the next thing we know, it's us with another chance. So, again, like I said, ebb and flow. This time, oh, no, sorry, there is a chance from the corner. I've I've, I've lost my place here. From that corner, which Virgil had to concede and did very well to do so, um, the captain flicks the ball back across our six-yard box with his header. And I think it's um, Antonio who heads wide at the back post. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm fairly positive it was Antonio. Um, didn't get to see a replay. Then we go up the far end now, like I said. Uh, we're on the attack this time. Henderson with a ball in. And Curtis really should make contact. I'm not sure what happens to Cur- Curtis. It's I, think like he, Bowen, I think Bowen bumps him. Maybe it is. because I think Bowen be, bumps him and knocks him off balance a bit. Because he, he, he kind of fell into the header. He seemed to Jimmy Milner it and get smaller as the ball yeah. came towards him. And I, I was I was kind of confused. I didn't understand what was happening to the poor chap. Um, the ball broke from that and Fab has a kind of a token effort from distance, but it's kind of into the keeper's chest. And then right at death, Harry, um, to sum up the last little bit, it's another Antonio break down the left. Um, and Henderson's initially matching him pace for pace. And then feels like he got um, unfairly ruffled and stops to complain. 
and Antonio runs on. He's again like a child on a five aside pitch in training would be told to play to the whistle. Um, I, I found that very frustrating. But you know, you saw the best and the worst there. I think you know you could see the involvement um, in the positions that we really want them to be in. You know, um, uh, attacking um, and cre- creating stuff from the 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 the, the right side. Um, but the rest of the half was just a, a picture postcard of sideways and backwards balls, uh, as Dave said, almost slowing the, the, the possession for the sake of it for the captain and um, a couple of dodgy moments. Um, talk to us about that chunk of the match um, from about 35 to the death there of the first half. Yeah, just just really quickly on Henderson because I mean, yeah, I think you mentioned I didn't I didn't uh, mention him by name earlier on, and, and I, I I'm not I'm not particularly interested in in in, in diving in two footed on him like uh, for the remainder of the season because it, it's 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 going to be this way I think if if if, if yeah. he does if he does keep playing because his his deficiencies are pretty obvious now and uh, in, tonight I I, I I see what you're saying around I thought in the attacking sense. I think he's always been a better sort of instinctive player to be honest. Where he's less time to think, and he's can can have good combinations attacking wise. And you do see that in in um in moments tonight where he's he's able to do some really nice one twos with Mo and Gakpo, and uh, helps his engineer some some good chances. But defensively, he's really struggled tonight. And I, I can't remember whether it was Sai or not, but I think somebody pulled up that he, again, he'd struggled, he'd struggled to make a challenge, I think, in the, a successful tackle in the first hour of the game, which is, it has a hand, uh, yeah, I, I just thought you, you saw the deficiencies, the lack of physicality to be able to sort of deal with someone like Antonio, it's a tr- tricky customer, but also just, yeah, just being a bit rash, a bit uh, in, in moments where we needed to be a bit calmer defensively. Uh, we've, we've just seen too many of those. But in, in terms of the actual performance of the team in the first half, yeah, was 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 very happy with it. I thought there was an, enough moments of quality there to like suggest we were going to go on and win that game, especially with the, the knowledge of the options that we had on the bench if we needed them as well. I thought Jota was unlucky on a couple of occasions. I think the ball was probably just rising a bit too much where he tried to control that vote. Not volley, but tried to control that strike, and then the header. Uh, yeah, probably should be doing better with that, but I thought he just missed it at, at that at the time. But on a different day, given how his luck's been recently, he's he's going to bag one of those as well. So, yeah, I, I just thought what I said at the start there around the attack looking threatening. Curtis, I think, has been really important actually over the last few games, and the contributions that he's making, the composure he's showing on the ball, and. I think now that he's he's had a few games where he's been able to just keep things a bit neat and tidy, you are starting to see glimmers of the creativity that he has around the box and mm. some of the nice combinations. So, yeah, I, I saw more than enough that I was thinking, OK, we're going to come out second half and really kick on. Well, what happened, Dave, was there was a dangerous break by them pretty early on. Ali had to do pretty well to get down to cut out a Ben Ram across on 53 minutes. It was a bit cagey up until that point. Then we saw a great defensive header by Virgil uh, from a cross, and we attacked, but um, Jota sort of fumbled his lines on that occasion. 56 minutes then, and Bowen was slipped in. He faced up to Virgil. He cut inside Virgil, and he buried it in the far post. 
It's a fantastic piece of play by Bowen, but VAR checked it, and thankfully he was offside. 57 minutes, Mo was the one who was through this time, and Aguero blocked his shot. Um, Trent then blew over a long-range half-volley. No real danger from that effort. It was uh, hit with venom, but it was well off target. And at that point, we make a couple of changes, and you and I are going to take it up as far as our... Uh, go-ahead goal and uh, we bring on Thiago and Diaz for Hendo and Jota and I think you can kind of see the transformation pretty quickly mm. uh, Diaz looked really bright from the minute he came on actually ironically Thiago as has happened in the last well certainly in two of the last three games his first few touches he, he kind of got caught in possession a few times like he hadn't warmed into the game and I think that's <laughs> I mean, it's a kind of sign, maybe from uh, you know the, the 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 whatever God you believe in, that he should be starting, perhaps because he did get caught in possession a couple of times, but then he obviously plays his way in as he does because he's he's a class act. Uh, lovely football actually ended with the two of them, Diaz, Thiago, and Curtis all involved, Fabinho involved, and Trent shooting over in 64 minutes. Then we saw a gorgeous pass by Thiago to Diaz, the two boys really involved, which led to a corner in 65 minutes. Uh, there were several uh, efforts there. Joel had an effort cleared off the line from that corner, went for another corner. Now, who'd have thought Joel Matip would strike twice uh, within two minutes and be our uh, the, the, the focal point of our attack? But he does. It's a lovely delivery from Robbo, and it's an absolutely cleanest bullet header finish you can imagine. Ooh. Just glorious. The kind of uh, corner header everybody wants to score. He meets it perfectly. It's straight as an arrow. Loads of power into acres of space in the net. There was no keeper getting anywhere near it. Um, talk to me about that. About how the 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 things started to change once the substitutions were made, um, it seemed very visceral to me, the change that occurred. Yeah, I mean, it just made made us a lot more purposeful when we had the ball. Uh, Luis Diaz, every time he gets the ball, he, he wants to make something happen. You know, he, he's, he's the type of player that doesn't waste a, a single touch. And... Jota is a is a more dangerous penalty box player than Diaz, but Diaz is a much better footballer than Diogo Jota and offers a lot more in terms of width and speed and dribbling ability and creativity. So I thought he made us a lot more dangerous. And Thiago came on and he, he seemed to struggle at first to sort of find his place on the pitch. And we saw him and Trent a little bit too close together early on. And then he sort of settled into the flow of the game but like you said, he did have a couple of heavy touches. Um, but just if I can just go back to one thing Harry said about Henderson playing on instinct, that's always been the case. He's always been so much better when he plays on instinct. When he does little one-touch flicks and quick passes and gets involved like that, it's when he has time to think, that's when he has trouble. And one of the issues with defensive work is that it requires quite a lot of thought, which is why his three defensive involvements in the first half were all awful. Um, but, you know, when he got himself into decent spaces and just made decisions on the fly, he created a couple of decent chances for us. And I think Curtis is kind of like that as well. I think when he plays on instinct, we see a better Curtis. And I thought tonight we saw the better Curtis. He was so heavily involved in, in our press, in winning the ball back high up the pitch. He made five tackles in the game tonight. 
Fabinho made four, Curtis made five. So you can see him kind of casting the net and helping us turn the ball up, uh, turn the ball over a bit higher up the pitch and sustain that pressure and get second chances off things that break down. And I thought Curtis was absolutely key to the victory tonight. The goal is, it is a work of art. It's an absolutely fantastic cross from Robertson the first time that lands bang in the middle of their six-yard box. Like, it is a sensational cross. Um, And he probably should score the first one, but, I mean, that it was worth him missing the first one for that header because that's that's one for the scrapbook. He literally soars above everybody, and it's the perfect, perfect whip on it from Robertson, perfect trajectory, and he meets it. And like you said, Trev, nobody's saving that. You could have put two more defenders back on the line. They're still not getting close to it. It absolutely bullets its way into the net. And we've criticised Joel in the past for maybe not being the best at heading the ball towards the goal. Uh, but tonight there was no doubt that was absolutely phenomenal. What a powerful header. And and you couldn't be happier for, for him because no matter what, he, he's, he's probably the most likable, entertaining guy in the squad. And he doesn't really know half the time why everybody loves him so much. Yeah, I, he he was being interviewed um, on the pitch afterwards by um, whatever Sky Sport lady was doing the interview, and uh, at one stage she said something about, uh, "What do you think about that potential penalty?" He goes, and he says, "Oh, <laughs> he's got his little high pitched voice, and he's just smiling benignly, doing a Joel, pretending nothing bad ever happens." I, uh, as you say, Dave, how could you not love him? I'm going to come back to you for your wrap up thoughts in a minute because I'm going to take this home now with Harry uh, between here and the final whistle. So if you have any um, observations about that last part of the match and whatever your final thoughts are and we'll get them uh, from you next so harry let's finish this before i go back to dave and then finish the show with you i've written down here after after the goal goes in in between 66 and 69 minutes where danny ings comes on and is it Cornet or Cornet? I never know how to say that for Ben Rama and Antonio. <laughs> I've written down Cody Gakpo as a baller, you know. Uh, I've just, I, I just love watching him play these days. Uh, next thing of note after the substitutions was uh, Ali doing a brilliant bit of sweeper, sweeper keeper on 72 minutes. Had to come out like way outside his box uh, and make an interception, which uh, just shows how bright that guy is. Uh, all the way through matches. Uh, we bring on Darwin for Cody on 76 minutes. Um, and, you know, I was looking forward to seeing what he could do. I feel sorry for this lad because he's getting these little cameos at the end of games. I don't know how he's expected to get into it. Um, today, I don't think he did. Other times he does. 79 minutes, Rice plays a ball into Cornet or Cornet and he fires wide off the near post. Um, it was a little bit of a eye opener for us. And eighty three, Suchek heads just over from a corner. Um, again, another little bit of a, a alarms going off. We bring on Jimmy Miller on eighty three minutes, and Jim's first touch is a foul, which is a, be- <laughs> a beautiful metaphor for his uh, last yeah. his, his most recent years as a Liverpool player. Um, eighty five minutes, Paqueta uh, gets Bowen in, and his effort this time he cuts in, he drives low, but it's at Ali this time who can uh, get down and 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 stop it on his chest. 
they were looking for a pen from VAR uh, soon after that for a handball where Thiago is falling and has his arm in a rigid position and the ball hops off. And I, look, I, I can see how they might be upset, but I don't see how anyone could read the de- deliberate intention there. Uh, then Ings was on the deck within a couple of seconds after that, crying as well, looking for a penalty. Three minutes were added. And on 91 minutes... Uh, we had to see Joel Matip ending the game on a high note. Absolutely brilliant 1v1 against Bowen, uh, getting there before him, conceding the corner, and at the same time drawing the free kick, which is double uh, the, the 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 victory at the end because not, we didn't have to face a corner. He uh, managed to draw a free kick out of it as well. So they're the events, but there must be probably different takes that you have on that period of the game, whatever you want to go into. Let's do that. Yeah, first of all, the header from from Matter that we, we've spoken many times about his 50p 50p head from corners <laughs> yeah. and set pieces, and yeah. the con- the connection he makes on that is 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 quality. So very happy, always happy for sort of big Joel Matter adventures in in games. And he's had a hard time of it, I think, actually this this season in terms of the performances. He's he's struggled for consistency, um, and if we're being actually honest, he's, he's probably been more consistently struggled than, than we've seen um, in previous seasons. But yeah, always great to see a game like this from him. And he's such a likeable, likeable fella. And I, I think you're talking about Gakpo and the, the combination of, of of players that he reminds me of at the moment, which is quite nice, is the obvious one with Ginny and some of the ability to retain the ball and just like some of the tactical intelligence that he's shown already. Uh, and then he's clearly they're trying to he's trying to learn an aspect of this false nine uh, role. There's been so much discussion about it. It does a clock mentioning it and Gakpo talking to himself about you know, Bobby being a great person to learn from. And I do remember one thing that was was, was said about Gakpo before we signed him was that he was a, a very like a very studious player. Like he, he did a lot of work outside of outside of game time, outside of training, trying to learn um, new stuff, add, add new aspects to his game. So he, he does look a real a real intelligent player. Uh, and we've seen throughout the season, like once he gets a goal, he, he goes up two or three levels and the confidence does wonders for him as well. So yeah, really excited to see how he's developing as well because I think he joined at a really difficult point in the season and could easily have like let that pressure get to him um, given the situation we were in. But is uh, responded really strongly as well, which is which is great. And Nunez, I know what you're saying around like these cameos. I, I just think he just makes far more sense centrally. Uh, just makes far more sense centrally. And I, I know the reservations that we apparently have about this and uh, him not understanding the pressing triggers and stuff like that. So that's that's going to be essential to work on if 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 we are t- to try and play the same way. I don't necessarily think you'll need to be razor sharp on that stuff if we get the midfield recruitment right and the balance of the team is a bit better i think we can afford to let darwin be the chaos agent and score the goals and not be incredible at the at the pressing as long as he improves somewhat uh, tactical understanding as well so yeah i think those were the highlights for me and we've already spoken about about jones and him him putting in an, another good performance as well but yeah i think quietly fab Fab probably was actually um, stronger than I, I remember for the past few games as well. And Trev, what you mentioned just in terms of the levels that we went up after we got Thiago on, after we got Diaz on, I thought it was 
quite noticeable how that was a period of the game where we just really pinned them in and they couldn't get out. And even if they were getting out, we were hoovering up most of the counters they were trying to they were trying to play. So the, the, I only felt nervous when it came to set pieces a little bit. And there was a couple long throw-ins in there that got got me remembering how every single long throw-in against Forest seemed to be a massive, a massive, massive issue. So yeah, I, I thought there, there were loads of positives to take from that tonight in terms of the the performances from players who are going to be key in the future and also um, some of the stalwarts who had a bit of a return to form as, as well. So yeah, great to get another win on the board and uh, as we as we started the pod off you know, like a belated belated birthday present for for david moyes for david moyes and no doubt no doubt <laughs> no doubt taft's tavern will make it a repeated appearance before we uh there needs to be fit. a frank one surely another version of it uh I really... who proves you don't have to be a winner to be <laughs> and I really hope someone's working on, on a Frank equivalent. All right, I agree with that completely. Uh, like I said, back to you to wrap up the show in a minute, Harry. So any um, uh, quick final thoughts you have and, and any plugs, have them ready for us. And Dave, why don't we uh, uh, wrap up together now with, with yourself and your final thoughts. If you if you want to go into anything on that um, little section of the match that Harry and I were just talking about, that's fine. And then any overall uh, assessments as well. Um, just a couple of quick things. So there's been a lot made of how Gakpo has settled in quicker than Darwin. Um, let's not forget that Darwin has still scored a number of goals this season and still had some key involvements. But Cody has two big advantages over Darwin. Number one, he speaks fluent English. Number two, he played under Roger Schmidt at PSG for a couple of PSV Eindhoven for a couple of years. So he's used to playing in a more press orientated system. But Darwin at Benfica took about a year to settle in and then exploded last season. So I think we'll see the same from him next season. I have no doubts and no concerns over him at all. Um, I think we've seen against us how good he was at pressing our centre-backs and Trent at times last season in the Champions League. And I I do really want to see us roll a 4-2-3-1 out at some point with... Salah, Gakpo and Diaz behind Darwin and see how it looks because when I think of Klopp and I think of what made me fall in love with Jurgen as a manager it was his Borussia Dortmund team where he had Lewandowski up front and I think that type of out and out nine is what Darwin will be he had a pacey creative left winger he had a goal scoring right winger and he had Kagawa as that almost subtlety player in behind. So he had Mario Gotza would often play from the right and Kagawa would be as, as a goal scorer and a creator, which, you know, he's not quite as good as Mo and not the same type of player, but I think Mo can do that role playing it a bit narrower. But when I when we signed Cody, the first player that came to mind was Kagawa. Now Kagawa's 5'8 and Cody's 6'4. So physically they're very different players, but there's a subtlety to Cody's play. He can add that force. And I think once he learns to play his size and play like a 6-4 tank, which is what he can be, I think he can be really special in that number 10 role. Now, whether Jurgen will move to that type of shape, I don't know. But certainly in this current shape, um, Cody is, is fitting better than Darwin. But like 
you can do certain things if you have Trent moving into midfield to form a three. So your four two becomes a three three, and then you've got a three and a one, a three and a one as your attack. It's something I'd like to see us do next season is to go to that more kind of four two three one three 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 one shape as opposed to this current kind of three box three that we fall into. Um, just watching Matip's goal again, and it's funny. Matip and Virgil stand together. <clears throat> And Antonio and Agard are clearly the two that are set to mark them. And Virgil sort of runs directly at the two of them and then stops. And they both just lock eyes on him and completely ignore Joel Matip. And neither of them makes a move to get near him. So whether that's something that we've worked on in training, that Virgil can have that kind of gravity to draw in other defenders and create space for others, it's certainly something we should make more use of because every time we have a set piece, we should be getting an opportunity here. With Virgil being 6-4, with Gakpo 6-4, with Matip or Kanate 6-4, Darwin when he plays is 6-1, 6-2. You know, Fabinho's very good in the air at 6-foot, six 6-1. Six so, you know, it is something that we've had great success with in the past and it's something we should be building on in the future. Because remember, West Ham, I think, going into this game, had the best defensive record in the league from a set-piece. So for us to score in that regard is quite good. And obviously we've done well from set pieces across the last two games, all three of the goals against uh, Forrest coming from set pieces. All in all, you're going to be very happy with the three points because they'd found a little bit of better form. We haven't been good, good enough away from home this year. And this could have been a tricky game for us. Um, Matip, as we've talked about, played well. Trent was good. But I, I do think Fabinho deserves a special bit of praise here because not only did he have one of his best games of the season, but I thought his judgment tonight was a lot better than it has been throughout the season. He was playing on the risk of two a two-game ban here tonight. A yellow card and he was done for the next two games. And yet he didn't have to hold back, but he knew when and where to put his foot in. And I thought he judged things really, really well tonight. So I think Fabinho deserves credit. And, and Cody and Curtis, for me, um, in terms of what they added off the ball as well as on the ball, was was really Im impressive to see. And when Cody would drop off that little bit, him and Curtis were able to kind of pick on Zuma. Whenever Zuma tried to play out from the back, one of them would press. They could press out on Sufal as well. And we were able to contain West Ham a little bit better than we have um, been able to contain other teams this season. So credit to the lads. I think I think when once the changes are made, everything made a lot more sense. And I think Jurgen got his in-game changes absolutely spot on today. I could have done without the Milner cameo. Now I have to say um, that the first touch is an abomination, and then he absolutely launches himself into a tackle <laughs> that uh, that it's never going to win the ball. But after that, he he did settle in and and play some nice keep ball. Um, but yeah, look, any win over David Moyes is going to give me give me joy because uh, you know when you've managed Everton and managed Manchester United, you're you're going to be someone that I've got a, at least a mild dislike for. And um, yeah, like Harry said earlier, happy birthday to David Moyes. And I thought did think it was interesting that he went to the referee after the game and asked why the handball wasn't checked by VAR 
when everything is checked by VAR. And a special mention to Joe Cole and whoever that other person was on BT's punditry team who was almost in tears demanding that it should be a penalty. I, I, I don't know if BT are having financial problems at the moment and whether the cost of living crisis has struck home, but it definitely seems like their punditry budget has been uh, drastically slashed if that's the quality of stuff they're putting forward. Well, I'm glad it wasn't just me. I didn't know even uh, the hell who that even was. Um, uh, one question for 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 both of you before I get your um, plugs, Dave and Harry. Feel free to come in here as well. Are we are we to read anything into the presence of uh, our esteemed um, John W. Uh, owner uh, at, 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 at the game in London? Is it just a jolly to London and it just happens there? to be? Oh. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And yeah, of course, of course, the camera a couple of times. And of course, we're playing Spurs on Sunday, so maybe he'll stay for that one as well. He could, could be having a nice little trip for himself. It could be something as simple as that that you know maybe Linda fancied London, but I'm just I'm wondering is there anything is there is there any fantastically interesting conspiracy theories out there as to why? There's be been some suggestion that perhaps um, they are close to selling a minority share. Yeah, yeah, deal. So maybe, yeah. maybe you know with our with our kind of head offices, our corporate offices. Uh, being based in London, maybe he's over for some talks regarding that. Um, but uh, who knows? It'll be interesting, actually, if he is at Anfield at the weekend, because um, I, I was thinking, I don't know who I was talking to during the week. I was thinking, I haven't seen John Henry at a game in, in a long time. And uh, there he is. He pops up there tonight in London. So hopefully he's at the Spurs game and you know, remembers that the club is based in Liverpool, regardless of the fact that, you know, he, he chooses to have the corporate offices based in London. And in terms, Dave, of your uh, contributions for the rest of this week, what can people look forward to? Uh, two-footed, obviously, every day. Daily read every day. We will have a scouted for Spurs. Uh, there'll be a fight fever, I think, Friday. I think I think that's it. Further, sc- that's it. further scribbling? Um, there'll be a Premier League preview, and I okay. do want to write something, but I'll probably hold it till next week. Just around... So I made a suggestion the other day that, uh, you know, given the, the sheer scale of the rebuild that stands in front of us, which is, you know, basically four starters and a whole bunch of squad stuff, Yeah. that... Given our ownership are not prone to, you know, throwing massive amounts of money at Jurgen, we're going to have a finite amount of money to spend. And we, we're going to have to be smart in some areas and pick up players that maybe some people don't see as good enough. And one of the players I mentioned was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I think as a right back on a free, 25 years of age, homegrown player, well-schooled in the Arsenal Academy, able to play a multitude of positions would make a lot of sense as a James Milner replacement to come in and be a backup to Trent, especially with this new system, because he can play right back and also be very comfortable in midfield. And uh, quite a few people didn't. Now, most people seem to like the suggestion, but quite a few didn't. And it was, it's, I think, so I'm going to write something about like people maybe needing to temper expectations because not every signing we make can be, 30 40 50 million there's going to have to be some cheaper players brought in and if you can bring in someone like maitland niles on a 
three or four year contract, get two good years out of him as a backup to Trent, and then maybe one of Ramsey or Connor Bradley is ready to step up and play an important squad role. You can sell Maitland Niles off, make a profit on him, and no no harm, no foul. Um he's just an example. There's a few other people I have in mind as well for different spots in the squad that could do with addressing. But it's just I, I do think people need to you know, we need to spend big in midfield, and I think they want to spend big on a left-footed centre-back um, to maybe, you know, give Robbo uh, a push or potentially replace Robbo. So I think other areas are going to have to be, you know, looked at with a a more, I suppose, cautious approach of not spending money, but maybe bringing in players that would fit the squad and aren't going to cost us a whole bunch. That's a very interesting concept. Look forward to reading about whatever you come up with there. And Harry, to finish the show with yourself and your final thoughts, any overall kind of conclusions there, I think uh, you want to throw in here at the end? No, I think I mentioned pretty much everything in terms of my thoughts on the game and some of the performances I thought were, were really strong from that. So, yeah, I'm just hoping we can we can continue that and take advantage of the fact that Spurs are in a pretty horrendous place at the moment. Obviously, having sacked the caretaker manager and released not one but two statements on their on their site talking about how the players had apologised and uh, and the uh, was it Daniel Levy apologised as well. So clearly not in a good place, and you want to take advantage of a situation like that as well. So hoping we do so. The only thing I, I, I wanted to bring up before the end was. We're talking about some of the the lack of self-awareness this season, given um, like uh, given Arsenal competing with with City. And I, I'm going to preface this by this: it's the online Arsenal fans that are particularly strong. But uh, so, someone um, has, has has tweeted, so he's an Arsenal fan. The Premier League should be grateful that its product, and it is a product, was given a title race by Arsenal. Otherwise, it would have been another stroll and a lack of interest outside the bottom three, which, being honest, the global audience doesn't care about. So, I mean, there's a <laughs> pretty <laughs> remarkable lack of self. It's just—it's an amazing wow. thing, right? A, wow. a, a title race a title race doesn't begin until there's 10 games left. I don't want to hear about a title race in, like, January and February. A title race begins when there's about 10 games left, and there's two teams in close proximity. So since there was 10 games left, what Arsenal have done is as follows. They started with an eight-point lead. They beat Leeds. They threw away a two-goal lead against us. They threw away a two-goal lead against West Ham. They drew with the team bottom of the league. And now they've been walloped 4-1 at the Etihad. And their eight-point lead is down to two points. City have an easier run in and two games in hand. There was never really a title race this season because City are just going to mow through what they have left. And I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal go to Newcastle in, a, I think it's in two weeks, and get their arses kicked. So we didn't get a title race this season. We'll see if City throw up on themselves. Maybe we'll get a title race. But this hasn't been a title race. This is two teams getting to a certain point of the season and one of them soiling themselves because they just don't have the mental toughness to cope with the pressure of trying to win a Premier League title. You won a title race 2018-19 last season. They were title races. This, yeah. this is not a title race. 
Yeah, that's it's come it's 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 come too early for Arsenal. So I think we were talking about the way in which they were they were performing, and it's yeah they're they're not they're not quite there yet. So yeah, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I have seen some pretty remarkable takes at the end of that game. And Chev, for me, yeah, there'll be a rival recon ahead of the Spurs game. I'm gonna try and get um, Seb from Tifo Football on again just to to have a chat about the always seems to be a turbulent season whenever I speak to him. Um, about about Tottenham, <laughs> so it's yeah no exception this time. It's they've they've outdone themselves at this stage, I think. Fantastic, and if you know what's good for you, you'll be listening to Harry and Dave and all they're doing uh, over the week to come. Uh, we will be back very soon in quick order, as the both the lads have said. We've got Spurs on Sunday. It is a home game at Anfield, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, as is the game against Fulham, as is the game against Brentford, as is the game against Villa in the next uh, six. Uh, only two away trips left, then to Leicester and to Southampton on the last day. So. Hopefully, we're in the right run of things, and um, I can't believe I'm saying it, but Operation Europa may be a go. Let's see how it goes anyway. We, that was Harry Sethi. You heard Dave Hendrick. I've been Trev Downey. This is Raw. We'll speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.